Good evening, everybody. It is Saturday night, February 22nd, year 2003. I'm Walden Hughes, and we're going to have an interesting show tonight. We're going to talk about Love and Abner first. Then after that, we will probably play The Couple Next Door, Peg Glenn's famous show from the late 50s. Uh, uh, encore interview that Bill did with Lauren Chapin. And some leftover Edgar and Charlie McCarthy show from last night when Frank Percy and I celebrated Edgar's 100th birthday. But I want to introduce a special guest, the president of the National Love and Amnesty Society, Donnie Pickford. Good evening, Donnie. Good evening, Walden. How are you? We're doing well. We're doing well. Great. How in the world did the National Love and Amnesty Society get together? Well, let's see. I don't think you have enough time on that. <laughs> oh, yeah, I do. We Bill has given me the keys to uh, keep the thing open, so. <laughs> I can put it in a nutshell, I think, and, and nut is probably the best, <laughs> best word to describe the officers. But no, uh, just very briefly, um, I became interested in, in old-time radio uh, as a kid. Uh, when I was listening uh, to a college radio station, I heard a Lum and Abner broadcast, and I had always heard about Lum and Abner from my dad and members of the family who grew up in Arkansas listening to it, and it, it meant so much to them. And then uh, around 1981, started hearing it on a local station. I, I live in East Texas. In 82, got in touch with a gentleman named Sam Brown from Dongola, Illinois, and we met for the first time face-to-face -face in the real Pine Ridge, Arkansas, at a Lum and Abner Day that they conducted there. That was in June of 1982. And then about a year later, Sam became acquainted with a gentleman named Tim Hollis from Dora, Alabama. And uh, we all got to talking and visiting and realized that uh, there was not an organization devoted to Lum and Abner. And before long, Tim convinced us we should form one. And in the summer of 1984, we met another gentleman named Rex Riffle, and the four of us became the first, uh, the original officers, and I was appointed the president, which was and still is a great honor, and it was put to me to get permission from the trademark holder, which was Mr. Chet Locke, Jr., the son of the man who played the part of Lum, and uh, we got permission to start, and 
August of 1984, published the first issue of the Jot'em Down Journal, and then over 100 issues, and close to 19 years later, we're still rolling along. Now, what's the membership today? you have any idea? Um, I don't have those records. Tim keeps those. I, I'm going to make a wild guess that we're around 600 people. And let's give out the website right now. I think there should be a link on the Yesterday USA website. You can get a chance this afternoon to check. But okay. It, but, it's possible. But, uh, folks, uh, write this down, or if you're listening to us on the web, go ahead, Donnie. How can people get to the website? Okay. Uh, there are two websites which will give you a great deal of information. Um, if you don't catch this, uh, I found the easiest way because sometimes I'm at work, I can't remember it, and I'll want to check something, and I'll just go to a search engine like Google and search for the National Lemon Abner Society, and immediately you know, I get, I get the link. But uh, I'll go ahead and give it to you. Our homepage is operated by a gentleman in uh, East Texas named Jim Temple, and uh, it is HTTP colon slash slash, of course, and then the word home, as in home on the range. That's H-O-M-E dot I-N-U dot net slash uh, the letter S and the word, the name Temple, T-E-M. P-L-E, and we have another slash, and then the word index, dot H-T-M-L. And I know that's a lot to write down sometimes. And the second way that people can get to it? Now, there's another uh, website that is uh, being produced by a gentleman named Alan Johns, and it's a fan page, but uh, very interesting with uh, great information and some other links that would be helpful to Lemon Abner fans, including uh, some uh, photographs of uh, the current issue of the journal and our current issue of the Lemon Abner Scripts books. But that that one is HTTP colon slash slash. Once again, the word home, H-O-M-E, dot, and then I'll spell this, H-I-W-A-A-Y dot net slash. And then we have uh, a tilde, you know, the squiggly mark, as some people call it. And then we have this gentleman's first initial and last name. It's A. Johns, which is spelled J-O-H-N-S, slash, R-E-T-R-O, slash. Then uh, the initials for Lum and Abner, it's the letter L, uh, the ampersand, or and sign, A, dot, H-T-M. <laughs> so that's a lot of letters. But you did it right. Anyway, folks, so. you did it correct. So, <laughs> so uh, folks, uh, if you don't recall that, we'll probably definitely make it a, a few t- more times tonight. But, oh, go through, but go through the Google search engine that Dottie mentioned, and that's an easy way. That's a good way to do it. Yeah. The thing that you'll find on uh, our website and probably on Allen's is you will find uh, links to uh, uh, methods for obtaining videotapes of the Lemon Abner motion pictures, which are made available through Mr. Locke and the company that he operates. And uh, there's some other really interesting links to other clubs uh, and uh, things I think you'll enjoy. How many movies did they do? Did they do, what, seven? Or was it it more than that? That's right. There were seven. Uh, Now, there are some confusing interviews in the past where uh, even Lemon Abner themselves... You know, with the passage of time, uh, 
got a little confused and gave the wrong number, but there were actually seven full-length films that were done by Lum and Abner. And how many radio shows are in existence or in the uh, in the club's uh, archives? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I cannot answer that for you. Uh, I don't know the exact number. I think it's at least over 800 that I know of. I'd say more than that. Yeah, yeah. I'd say there, there are more shows than that. Uh I, I'm sorry, I do not have that. No exact... problem, no problem. But what I'm saying is, folks, is you really love Eleven Avenue. You hear it almost every day here on Yesterday USA on the Ronnie Millsap show. But uh, if you wanted to go ahead and sneak ahead, I would say go ahead and join the National Eleven Avenue Society. Uh, was it? I think it was a twelve-dollar charge. I'm trying to call. Fifteen. Fifteen dollars now, right? And that's a great deal. You, you get the newsletter. Right, six and, times a year. And you're able to uh, get use of the library. Right, and we have uh, an exciting development that's going to be announced in the, the next issue. And uh, I'll just give you uh, just some hints or some previews of that because we're still finalizing that. But we have made arrangements uh, now to uh, offer a set of the programs on CD that have been uh, digitally restored. And the sound quality is excellent. And as I say, we're still finalizing the arrangements on that, but that is one of the new developments that the Lemon Average Society is working on to try to improve the quality and make these available to the, the fans of Lemon Abner. Now, what was the first time the club got together for a convention? How did that all come about? Well, that was, you, you've heard of things being produced on a shoestring. <laughs> and... Uh, I don't even think we had a shoe to put the shoestring in, to be honest with you. But uh, we uh, actually, it was about, we'd been in existence a year, and we had been contacted uh, by a gentleman named Roz Rogers. And if you've watched television over the years, if you remember Father Knows Best, so many radio and television shows, Mr. Rogers was the writer on many of those and spent a number of years writing the Lum and Abner show. And uh, he expressed an interest to be with us, and also uh, an actor, if you're familiar with Vic and Sade, those Websters, and of course Lum and Abner, a gentleman named Clarence Hartzell wanted to be with us. And this was in June 1985, and we met in the fire hall in the real town of Pine Ridge, Arkansas, and uh, patched together a little crude sound system, and away we went. And... Uh, that was our first convention. I I say if I got this queued up right, let's go ahead and hear Roswell Roger here at the beginning. And I think that would be great he because he, he tells the story of uh, how he grew up with radio and, and became a writer for Lum and Abner. And he just, uh, oh, he, he told some great stories that spur back over the years and uh, oh, definitely, yes. definitely with you guys. So What a great, what a great gentleman he was. Oh, here, you, here we go, folks. So hopefully I got this queued up. When I was still a half-grown kid of a boy in South Dakota, long before I ever heard of Lum and Abner, my father brought home a strange-looking second-hand contraption he called a radio. It had a lot of mysterious wires and dials and a big horn, slim, similar to the one that the dog in the Victrola ads was always staring into, and it had a wonderful-sounding name, Atwater Kent. We all watched in awe as my father drilled a hole right down through the living room floor and ran some wires down through that hole to a car battery in the basement. Next, he strung some wires from a pole on the roof 
And then he warned us all to stand back. He said this fool thing could blow up at any minute. My grandmother needed no such warning because she wouldn't even come into the same room with it. It's an invention of the devil, she said, and you'll all wind up in hell. But we were so eager to hear what would come out of that mysterious box, we didn't care where we'd wind up. My father fiddled with the dials, and pretty soon we heard some wonderful sounds, sounds called static. But eventually we heard actual voices, and it didn't matter what they were saying because all we were interested in was where these voices were coming from. Omaha was a pretty good uh, accomplishment, but if we could bring in faraway places like Shreveport, well, that was a real triumph. Eventually, we discovered that there were such things as radio programs, and they were not bad. There were soap operas and Seth Parker on Sunday nights and funny shows like Colonel Stupnagel and Bud, The Three Doctors, Sisters of the Skillet, Vic and Sade, Sam and Henry, who later became Amos and Andy. But the show that really tickled us was Lum and Abner. It was a simple premise, just two old guys running a country store, that's all. Now, how could you make anything out of that? Well, Chet Locke and Tuffy Goff made something out of it that lasted for two decades. They used no jokes, no standard comedy routines, but effortlessly, at least on the surface, effortlessly they created an affectionate brand of Midwest American humor. It was unique, and that is what we fell in love with. I don't like to use the word rural because, well, Lum and Amner were rural characters, they were not hillbillies, not robes, not yokels, not hayseeds, no overalls for them. They were strictly downtown Pine Ridge, flesh and blood people who lived a full life within their own world. And the center of that world, that universe, was Pine Ridge. This concept of the universe is best exemplified by the Arkansas fellow who ventured to New York City and when he got home, his fellow cronies gathered at the barber shop to hear the wondrous details of that trip. Well, sir, he said, that is the out one place that man ever set eyes on. They got trains that run through holes down under the town, scare a body half to death. And they got buildings that go up so high that, uh, well, if you used to get clean up on top and spit, it'd take two days for that dad blame thing to hit the sidewalk. Oh, you just wouldn't believe that damn pigeon-toed place there. But I'll tell you this, it'll never go, never go, why not? Because it's just too darn far away. In those days when I was still in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, listening nightly to the magic of Lum and Abner, little did I dream that in not too many years hence I would be in Hollywood writing those daily scripts for Lum and Abner. It was a chore that was to last for nearly a decade, and right from the beginning, it was for me a labor of love. During my first weeks, my job was mainly to provide story ideas and situations upon which to base their scripts. I can still see them at work in their small office at Columbia Square in Hollywood. Chet sat at the typewriter while Tuffy sat behind him looking over his shoulder. I listened attentively as a wealth of dialogue flowed forth from Tuffy's fertile brain while Chet expertly edited this material as he transcribed it to paper. In those few weeks, I absorbed all the thinking language and Pine Ridge culture that I could. Soon it came time for them to start shooting one of their early motion pictures, and they asked me if I would write the radio scripts while they were busy making movies. I said yes, and that was it. They never went back to script writing as a steady thing. 
The arrangement worked well for both of us, but one thing bothered Tuffy. He didn't think it looked dignified for me to walk into this broadcasting studio with a script stuffed into my coat pocket. He said he never saw the Jack Benny riders doing that. So that Christmas, he and Chet gave me a fine leather case in which to carry the script. Well, the day after Christmas, I proudly walked into the studio with my fine new case, and I could see that Tuffy felt better now. Grandly, I placed the case on their broadcasting table, unsnapped the shiny fasteners, opened the case, and no script. <laughs> I had done everything right except put the script in the case. Luckily, I have an alert, cool-headed wife. Shortly after I had left that day, she discovered what I had forgotten, so she took off her curlers, threw on a coat, leaped into the car, and delivered the script barely in time for them to go on the air. Later, Tuffy called me aside and said, Look, Roz, maybe you better forget the case. But whatever you do, hang on to that wife of yours. We need her. <laughs> well, those crazy, fondly remembered days are gone now, and sadly, so are Lum and Abner. But what they have wrought need not fade away. In fact, there is across our land right now a revival of the spirit of Lum and Abner. There is a movement abroad to preserve for both current and future generations that unique bit of Americana which they represent. The spark that has kindled this new flame is the National Lum and Abner Society. I commend its founders and officers, Tim Hollis, Donnie Pitchford, Sam Brown, and Rex Riffle for their vision and their dedication. We can all be grateful to these fine gentlemen for having taken this first important step. Thank you and applause for them. I bet that brought back some memories for you, Donnie. Oh, it did. It, it, I, I get chills hearing that, especially there at the end. Uh, it was such an honor to uh, to get to know Roz and uh, how how we miss him. Yeah. Now, now are those uh, surviving interviews that were done by Chet and Norris over the year by other people? I'm thinking Richard and Parkey did one with Lum in the 60s. Yes, uh, there are several, and... Uh, we have some of those in our tape library, and I'm sure there are others. Uh, we've even come across uh, one uh, that was done, uh, at least one done for television, and more recently, uh, the one that Chet did on the game show to tell the truth has turned up. So there's quite a bit of material out there. That's nice. That's really nice. What about the ne what's your next memory of a, a convention that we maybe we can play uh, here? That first uh, 1985 convention was so amazing because, as I said, you know, it, we put it together with no funding whatsoever. It was uh, everything was volunteer. Uh, we'll always remember Mr. Roger Rogers and Mr. Hartzell and their wives for uh, literally paying their own way uh, to be there with us. And uh, Clarence Hartzell was one of those incredible radio actors that was so uh, retiring in a sense. Um, and uh, it was just a joy to meet him. He played Ben Withers on the Lemon Abner show. And uh, Chet Locke always gave him credit for saving the show because uh, Norris Goff, Tuffy, who played Abner, had a uh, very life-threatening uh, cancer operation at one time. And thanks to the character of Ben Withers being on the program, he was able to more or less fill in around the absence of Tuffy when he was gone for so long. And... Uh, really helped the show to survive during that uh, tragic time. But Tuffy did return, and Clarence continued with the show until the 30-minute days. But 
he and his uh, lovely wife were with us in 1985, and this was our first attempt to try to uh, impersonate Lumen Abner. Uh, Tim Hollis and I uh, did this somewhat reluctantly because we wanted to be able to present Ben Withers as everyone remembered him. So when you listen to this clip, uh, try to plug your ears when you hear the bogus Lum and Abner, because <laughs> we do not claim to be Lum and Abner, and we never have, but uh, we gave it a shot anyway so that Clarence could perform one of his original Ben, ben Withers routines from the late 1940s. And now, let's see what's going on down in Pine Ridge. Well, as we look in on the little store today, the two old fellows, Lum and Abner, are once again having financial difficulties. Let's listen. Lum, if we don't get $350 for our taxes, we're going to lose a store. Yeah, surely there's somebody who ain't got enough sense but to loan us that kind of money. Hello, hello. Well, Ben Withers, we was just talking about you. How's that, Abner? I said we... Fine. Uh, Ben... I'm going to be frank with you. Ben, we need $350. Quick. Lum, the only man I know with that kind of money is Balmer K. Sutter of Mount Ida, a millionaire banker worth several thousand dollars. Well, uh, do you reckon he'd actually lend me some money? Um, no. Huh? You're an unmarried bachelor, Lum, and Volmer K. Sutter will only do business with settled-down, happy family men. He distrusts bachelors. But why? Fine. Volmer K. Sutter had a rather unfortunate experience with a bachelor once. The bachelor ran away with his wife. Oh, that's a shame. He brought her back in two weeks. M Mr. Sutter has never trusted a bachelor since. Well, I don't blame him. Well, uh, Abner's a tied-down, uh, that is, settled-down family man. Maybe he can get the loan. Well, <clears throat> why don't I jump on the long-distance phone and ask him? If you think you can get the money from him, call him. Mr. Sutter firmly believes in the vine-covered cottage, the family circle, easy slippers, smoking jacket, Pipe in mouth, faithful dog. Hello, Mamie. Oops, hello, Mamie. I'd like to uh, rush a call through to Mount Ivy. Orrin J. Watford. You'll find him at the Ace High Snooker Palace. I thought you was calling Mr. Sutter. Oh, I don't know Mr. Sutter. Huh? Hello, Ace High Snooker Palace? Orrin? Guess who this is? <laughs> he, he thinks I'm Russell Fillmore. <laughs> try, try again, Oren. Just tell him who you are and get a hold of Mr. Sutter. No, <laughs> this is Ben Withers. Yes. Sure, I'll wait. What's the matter now, Ben? He wants to make another shot. <laughs> he doesn't want to hold up the game. Oh, for pity's sakes. Nice fellow, Orrin. <clears throat> Wears his vest inside out to break himself of the cigar habit. Hello, Orrin. How's that? Side pocket, huh? Ben, this is costing us money. Orrin, <clears throat> I, I wonder if you would run across the street to the bank and ask your millionaire brother-in-law if he'll lend $350 to a needy friend of mine here in Pine Ridge. Do you have to say needy? You better make that seedy. How's that, Orrin? 
Will my stars put him on? <laughs> what do you know about that, Lum? Ralph Conway's there. I, I don't care who's there. Just find out about the money. Ralph wants to say hello to me. Ralph, hello to you. Okay, Ralph. He's putting Oren back on. Ask about the money. That's the first time I've talked to Ralph in seven years. Sure good to hear his voice again. Hello, who's this? Charlie? Oh, my goodness. Why, certainly, Charlie. I'd love to talk to him. Now, hold on, Ben. This has went too far. That Charlie thinks of everything. Hello, sir. Happy birthday, sir. Just a moment, sir. Here, Lum, you talk to him. Oh, I don't know what to say to him. Just say happy birthday. Oh, grannies, this is silly. Hello, sir. Happy birthday, sir. I said... Happy birthday. Hap I said happy birthday. Here, Ben, take this receiver and get Orrin back on. How'd you like that fellow's voice, Lum? Couldn't hardly hear him. Who was he? I don't know. <laughs> Some fella hanging around the pool hall. Charlie says he's 93 years old today and has never talked long distance before. This was Charlie's birthday present to him. Charlie's? Who's paying for this call? Hello? Who's this? Ed? Oh, me. Well, that's just fine, Ed. Say hello to Bessie and Clyde. Yeah, goodbye. Well, you're in luck, Lum. In luck? Oren told Ed to tell me to tell you... I don't want to hear he it. ...that he contacted Mr. Sutter over at the bank, and Mr. Sutter will be in Pine Ridge this afternoon to discuss the loan. He, he will? But I thought you... When did you find that out? Yes. Well, <laughs> Ben, why didn't you tell me this before? How could I? You kept butting in on the conversation. <laughs> Mr. Clarence Hartzell. Mr. <laughs> I, th I did not realize that Ben Weathers uh, showed up during the 15-minute run. Yes, he did. Oh. He did. I think most people associate him with the half-hour show, but uh, his character entered uh, the continuity as Dr. Benjamin Franklin Withers. He was uh, supposedly a veterinarian who lost his patients, and by that I mean he lost his animal patients. <laughs> <laughs> he was always looking for a small, I mean, it was a small goat. I think it was he couldn't find, but uh, that was, uh, and unfortunately, that was the last time. Clarence was able to attend, the one and only time, because his health was uh, somewhat delicate. Uh, if you hear the same lady laughing in several of these clips, yes, that is uh, Helen Hartzell, uh, Mrs. Hartzell, and she was such a delightful lady, uh, we call her Auntie Helen, and wow. she returned several times after Clarence's passing. Uh, she's just, uh, just a dear lady. She's still with us, and uh, we've not seen her for a time, but we're hoping that... Uh, one of these days, perhaps her daughter or a friend will be able to bring her back to Mina. But uh, she's, when, when you hear a, a familiar female laugh in the audience, that's Auntie Helen. Mm. I think, didn't Clarence live in Arkansas? I'm trying to recall. Yes, he did. Yeah. Uh, they retired uh, to a city called Bella Vista, Arkansas. And uh, Clarence retired from the uh, show business. And uh, I think for a time was working 
in restoring antique furniture and, and was quite a composer. Uh, he wrote several songs, uh, sacred music, quite a musician as well. Very talented gentleman. Okay, I know, I mean, his, his voice that he used, he used it definitely for Vic and Say. That's where he right. made his fame. And then, that's sure. And then, that's right, then Carlton E. Morris fell in love with that voice and put him on One Man's Family for a while. Yeah, yes, he did. And, of course, uh, Robin Abner. So he had quite a career uh, in the 40s there. Absolutely. What about the next clip here, Donnie? What can you tell me about that? All right, well, uh, I don't have any clips from 1986, but let me tell you briefly, we had uh, that year... Kathy Stucker, who is the curator of the Lemon Abner Museum, and uh, that is the uh, housed in the original Dick Huddleston store there in Pine Ridge. And Dick Huddleston, of course, was a big part of the Lemon Abner show and, and was a real person. And um, they are still operating the museum and the store. I was looking. I know they have a website. I'm sorry that I do not have that in front of me. I do have a telephone number. If you would like information. Sure, we'll give that out. All right, this is the Jotham Down Store and Lemon Abner Museum. It's operated by Lon and Kathy Stucker, and the address is Post Office Box 38, Pine Ridge, two words, Pine Ridge, Arkansas, 71966. And the phone number is area code 870-3266. Four 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 two, and they have uh, the original general store. It's on the National uh, Register of Historic Places, and beside that is another vintage store that houses the Lemon Abner Museum, which is a fascinating place to visit. Did they ever do a broadcast in Pine Ridge? No, they um, they did do a broadcast in Little Rock. Uh, when they started, they broadcast from Hot Springs, Arkansas, down the road, and that got them noticed, and from there they went to uh, NBC. That was in 1931, but they returned to Little Rock in uh, 1936 on the fifth anniversary of the program for a ceremony which changed the name of the town of Waters, which is where Dick Huddleston's store was located, to Pine Ridge. And that was broadcast from the steps of the Capitol building, as we understand it, in Little Rock. Now, did the uh, did Chet and, and Guff, uh, Tuffy went up to Chicago first before they went off to Hollywood? Is that how the... Uh... <clears throat> right. They broadcast for a time from Chicago uh, for Quaker Oats on NBC. For a time, broadcast uh, from the Dallas-Fort Worth area on uh, WBAP and WFAA, and uh, that was also for Quaker Oats, and eventually ended up in Cleveland for a time uh, for the Ford Motor Company, and then back to Chicago, I believe, for Horlicks Malted Milk before finally uh, ending up in uh, Hollywood. Hmm. Did not realize all that. That's, that's fascinating. Uh, so uh, that, that was the 1986. Then uh, do we have anything for the 1987 convention? Yes, we do. Um, the, uh, the other person I might mention in 1986 that we, we heard from was Ethel Huddleston Ball while we were on the topic of Pine Ridge, who was uh, the daughter of Dick Huddleston. 86 was basically an anniversary year for the town of Pine Ridge, and also that year uh, Chester Locke Jr. was present and 
received from us the National Association of Broadcasters Hall of Fame Award for Lemon Abner. But in 87, we were proud to have actor Jerry Hausner with us. And Jerry had a long career in radio and television. Many people today remember him from the I Love Lucy show as uh, uh, Ricky Ricardo's agent, Jerry, in the early days. And uh, he also provided the baby cries for little Ricky. So he was extremely uh, versatile. And Jerry had discovered in an old trunk a script from 1937 in which uh, he was playing a character named Spud Gandal. And Spud was uh, sort of a nemesis for a time for Lum and Abner. He was a, a short order cook at a restaurant Lum and Abner were operating. And, uh, well, as it turns out, Spud ends up in a little romantic triangle with Lum and Lum's longtime sweetheart. But at the time of this script, uh, there was no recording in, in existence of this program, and so uh, Jerry agreed to uh, get with us and recreate it. And this is the only recording that exists of Jerry Hausner playing the part of Spud Gandel, even though it was 50 years later, almost to the day, <laughs> from the original broadcast. But by this time, uh, Tim and I had swapped roles. Um, I was uh, trying to imitate Abner. Tim was doing Lum, and uh, Sam Brown was playing the part of Dick Huddleston. And so we'll go back to 1987. Whoa, howdy, Mr. Dick. Howdy, Mr. Spud. Yeah, go on, Lum. Get those groceries and get back to the restaurant. What do you mean stalling around here when you got a business to take care of? Well, that sounds like Spud. Post office, <laughs> I take everything in sight. Well, if you didn't steal the money, where did you get it? Well, can a guy have $200 of his own dough? I always keep a little extra in my grouch bag for a getaway dough. Huh? Never mind, Abner. You mean to say that money you left us wasn't stolen from the post office? Well, anybody that thinks so is screwy. I had that dough with me when I first met you guys. And when I saw how tough things were going with you, well, I just left it for you. I've been broke before. I swan to goodness this is the most mixed up thing I ever heard of. I think we ought to sit down and discuss this quietly. We can't figure this out standing out here in the hallway. Well, we can't get out of here, Dick. The door's locked. Well, we'll get it open. And, uh, we'll come in. Hey, uh, turnkey! Yeah! Come here. Open the door to this cell. We want to go in and talk to these fellas. Yeah? Who are you? Never mind who I am. Open this door. Hey, uh, aren't you Spud Gandal? What if I am? You're the fella everybody's been looking for. Huh? You're accused of robbing the post office at Cherry Hill. Hey, let go of me. You're nuts! I'm afraid you'll have to... I'll have to place you under arrest. Well, I wait. ain't done nothing. Yeah, tell that to the judge. Wait a minute there. You can't arrest him. Oh. Yeah, I can, huh? You better keep out of this. Come on. In you go. Hey, now wait. You can't do this to me. I came down here to talk to these two old judges. Yeah, you can talk to them from in here. They're only across the hall. I'll go see if Mr. Norton can't straighten this out. Well, I'll be dead plain if that don't beat the bugs of fighting. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for the use of the hall. <laughs> <laughs> 
Jerry Housner for uh, our fans, probably was the most famous guy doing all the baby cries and most of the yeah. great radio shows out of Hollywood. And I think his best friend for many years was Hans Connery. Oh, yes. And uh, He's placed together. I think Jerry met up with Lovin' Abner when he was working in radio in Cleveland. I think that's, that's right. That's right. And by the way, fan, uh, folks, I think that's the same time when Jim Backus was working in radio was in Cleveland. So and, uh, you may know this, but Jerry and Jim were very good friends through the years. That's right. That's right. I and uh, Jerry helped actually uh, got uh, Jim uh, the audition for the part that uh, he'll always be remembered, Mr. Magoo. That's right, and uh, Jim's wife, who's still with us, thank God, is oh, a yes. good, good radio actress. She even worked in some of the Orson Welles stuff. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah, and uh, currently now it's an author, uh, puts out several books. But uh, <laughs> anyway, any other memories about the 1987 uh, convention, Donnie? Very memorable to meet Jerry. Um, Jerry was... Uh, we remained a good friend until his last days. Jerry passed away in 1993, and um, Jerry, I once made the the statement that uh, he was not only he was quite a character actor as well as quite a character. Uh, Jerry could come on as as gruff and and that sort of thing, but uh, under it was a heart of gold. Absolutely, and I I think he had a value of of history because. Um, I recall he made sure he had a label and things on all his artifacts. That way, when he passed away, uh, whoever was taking care of his estate would knew what would be worthwhile keeping. And he also, uh, you may know, was quite an artist and quite a photographer. That's right. I've forgotten about that. Very multi-talented gentleman. Now, how about the 1988 convention? Any, any thoughts about that? Yes, uh, I don't believe I have a, a clip prepared of that, but Jerry returned to be with us a, a second time, and we had uh, a gentleman named Elmore Vincent, who is a radio actor who was first noted, I think, for playing Senator Fishface in uh, the 1930s, and uh, came along in 1944 to play the part of Finus Peabody, who was Abner's Civil War veteran father, if you could believe that. <laughs> Quite a character. And I apologize that I do not have a clip uh, ready for that. At the time I was preparing this CD for you, the only recording I had of that convention, the sound quality was uh, was less than optimum, so I did not uh, feel it was a good representation. But a uh, great deal of fun with uh, Elmore Vincent that year. Now, tell me about the area. What do you do the convention? Is it in a, a community center? Give me some ideas. What... It's, uh, it's in Mena, Arkansas. Uh -huh. And uh, beginning in, not, well, in 1987, we moved to Mena. We had been having it in Pine Ridge, in the old fire hall. And we knew that most of our guests were, of course, getting older. And uh, we thought it would be best to have it in a facility where there were uh, restroom facilities available. And, some of the comforts that uh, some of the guests who, of course, have been living in Hollywood were more accustomed to, and also where we could seat more people. And so we decided to move it to Mena, which is just down the road, and Mena is the boyhood hometown of uh, Chatlock and Tuffy Goff, so it was it's an ideal place to hold it, and also uh, the atmosphere of a smaller city, about 6,000 people. And we hold them now at the um, Mena Lime Tree Inn, 
which uh, we've had, uh, we've used that facility since 1988, and we have a, uh, there's a, a meeting room there where we hold the conventions. Huh, very interesting. And when's your next convention, by the way, as we're talking about this? The next one is June the 20th and 21st, coming up this summer. It, again, is at the Lime Tree Inn, and if you'd like, I'll go ahead and tell you some of the details. You bet. Um, this year is the 60th anniversary of two of the Lum and Abner motion pictures, Two Weeks to Live, and another one called So This is Washington. And um, if everything works out right, we're going to have the lady who was uh, a co-star in Two Weeks to Live, Miss Kay Lineker, will be back with us. And uh, we know her better as Kate. She goes by her married name, which is Kate Phillips, and she is one delightful lady. You'll hear her a little later. If we have time, she was with us in 1998. Mm. And, uh, quite a, an accomplished actress and uh, screenwriter. And we're also hoping to have back Mr. Dal McKinnon, who was with us last year, who will be uh, staying over from an appearance at the Memphis Film Festival. And I think we have possibly the daughter of a lady who was in Two Weeks to Live also. And I do not have her name or that information in front of me, but uh, that's still just a possibility. How in the world are you guys are able to find everybody? We've had a lot of help. <laughs> We've had help from uh, people like Leonard Malton and uh, uh, people like Ray Nielsen of the Memphis Film Festival. And, of course, uh, when we started out, Roz Rogers, uh, Jerry Hausner, all of the people in uh, L.A. and Hollywood who were involved with radio, it was just sort of a word-of-mouth situation, uh, spurred back, uh, Pacific Pioneer Broadcasters, I'm leaving, I'm sure, someone out. Yesterday, USA, uh, all of the organizations have really helped each other out, and uh, as a result, we've been able to get in touch with so many of these people. That's, that's a great thing. It really is. Yeah. I think we're, we're up to here, Donnie. You think the 88 convention or so, or 89? Right. Uh, I unfortunately don't have a clip from 1988, but we do have one from... 1989, when we had uh, a man who was probably at the time the dean of old-time radio announcers, the late Mr. Wendell Niles, uh, was with us in 1989, and of course you I'm sure remember him from countless programs, the Bob Hope Show and so many others, but Wendell was the announcer for the 30-minute Lum and Abner Show from 1948 to 1950, and joined us at our convention in 1989, and Tim took the role of Cedric Weehunt, and he and Mr. Niles recreated one of the original... I'll go sit in the chair across the hall. I'll go sit in the chair. Yeah, you... <laughs> yeah, we're just making sure everything was set here. Okay, good. And let's do it, folks. Here we go. <laughs> The use of the hall. <laughs> this is the Frigidaire commercial from October 13th, 1948, and it's supposed to start off with the sound effect of a door opening and closing, which, go ahead and open and close the door. Oh, right. Very good. <laughs> hello, hello, is anybody here? Oh, uh, yes, Mom. <laughs> uh, I don't believe that we've met. Oh, sure we did. Oh, we just said hello. I mean, I, I don't think I got your name. Oh, it's Cedric. Cedric. Well, that's good to know you, Cedric. My name is Niles, Wendell Niles. I'm with Frigidaire. Well, uh, I'm Cedric Weehunt. I'm alone. <laughs> <laughs> where is everybody? Uh, where, uh, 
Where are Mr. Edwards and Mr. Peabody? Oh, um, Mr. Loomis broke his leg. Oh, I'm sorry to hear about that. I'll, I'll have to go over there and see him. Uh, uh, you minding the store for him? Yes, right? Mom. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm sure you won't have any trouble. You certainly won't have any trouble with Frigidaire. Oh, I don't know about that. Mr. Loom says Frigidaire's walk right out of the store. <laughs> That's about right. Uh, more Frigidaire's are being bought today than ever before because everyone knows Frigidaire is America's number one refrigerator. It just stands to reason that with more Frigidaire's in use than any other make, there's more talk about them, and, and uh, you know what people are saying, don't you? Oh, uh, you mean about Mr. Lum being so clumsy? No, no, I mean, I mean that people are saying that the new Frigidaire is the most convenient, easy-to-use beauty they ever saw. And what's more, they say that a Frigidaire refrigerator is one of the best money savers in town. You know the meter miser? Oh, uh, no, Mom, but I know Squire Skim. <laughs> Only Frigidaire has the meter miser, you know, the simplest cold maker ever built. It's so powerful, it can keep even the biggest Frigidaire refrigerators filled with cold even in the hottest weather. Yes, it's so simple that it cuts current costs to the bone. Now just remember the meter miser when anyone mentions refrigerators, because the first thing a refrigerator must do is to make all the cold you need when you want it. Yes, sir. It's good to remember that only a Frigidaire has the meter miser. Now, young man, is there uh, anything I can do for you? Oh, uh, yes, Mom. Uh, what is it? Uh, let go of my coat. I'm already on your side. <laughs> That's the commercial. Mr. Wendell Niles. Oh, yeah. And his brother was also a famous radio announcer. Oh, yes. Ken Niles, of course. That's true. I forget which one. I think one of them started out as a band leader in local... Yes, that uh, that was Wendell. That was, that's what I thought. I think in Montana or somewhere in the Midwest. Right. Um, and uh, I had the honor of, of uh, doing an interview with Wendell, and he recounted many of the de details about his career. And one of the most interesting things, he was the announcer on the um, program just opposite the uh, famous War of the Worlds broadcast, which you may know about. Ah, well, of course, uh, there was the Edgar Bergen Charlie McCarthy show. That's the one. That's the one. <laughs> and that was the one I played last night. So, hey, Donnie, you hey. got you got a good a good a clue for history around here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in fact, he claims that it was during one of his commercials that people switched the dial and uh, got the, the pants scared off of them by Orson Welles. <laughs> I think uh, a lot of people recognize the voice of Wendell Niles. Um, if you listen to the Bob Hope show, time when Bill Goodwin uh, did something else, I think he moved on to Burns and Allen, Wendell right. took over. I think that's right. And that should be during the Warrior. The, the warrior. And I think I think both of them were close to 90 years old. Um, I don't exactly recall the actual uh, years, but they were, they, they, both of them made it around a good long time. They did. And, uh, anyway, um, now tell me about the convention itself. You guys do radio recreation, a movie uh, presentation, some talks. Tell me what the convention is like. We, uh, a lot of time we will base it on what's happening uh, in the way of anniversaries for that particular year and on the guests that we have. Um, for example, in 1990, we had our, for our first uh, movie anniversary to celebrate. That was the uh, 50th anniversary of the first Lemon Abner film, which was entitled Dreaming Out Loud. 
and um, we were very fortunate that year to have with us Mr. Bob's Watson, who was just a 10-year-old child in uh, that 1940 film, and as an adult, he had become a Methodist minister and was uh, just a delightful man, and he and his wife agreed to be with us in 1990. And uh, so we wrote a new script. That's one thing that we've done, um, I think, that differs from some of the conventions, is that uh, from time to time we will concoct a brand-new script. And that's what we did in 1990, and we decided to try to portray uh, this almost as a stage show. We did it in makeup, and uh, when we do that, Tim and I usually trade parts around because of the differences in our height. And so, you know, we stick on the crepe... Uh, mustache and beard and gray the hair and uh, if we do it long enough we won't have to gray the hair though anymore it's going <laughs> to be natural but so we we once again impersonated Lum and Abner and had Sam Brown played the part of Cedric and we had some of the uh, members of the society uh we had a fellow named John Knupel play Grandpap uh a fellow named Jeff Carter played Mousy Gray uh, Charles Thurman played the part of Ulysses S. Quincy and Bob's Watson played basically the character he was in Dreaming Out Loud as an adult, but we mixed fact with fantasy and had him return as a pastor, coming back to Pine Ridge to pastor a church. And uh, so the, you'll notice on this, this clip that the sound quality may be a bit hollow. It's because it was being performed more as a stage presentation. Okay, here we go, folks. One, and Brother Jimmy! Jimmy. Hey! Oh, oh it's great! Brother it's wonderful to be back home again! Doggy! 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 Uh, uh, Lum, what I think you need is, is a dose of Miles Nervine. <laughs> you, you might be right, Brother Jimmy. There it is right there. Yes, sir. Let me see that. It, that's Ooh. the stuff. I remember. I ain't hardly got no water to drink. I guess I could drink this malted milk. <laughs> but I tell you, Brother Jimmy, I'm just so excited to see you. You know, you were just almost like a our own little kid of a boy. Just look at you over there in that old oh, look, 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 look at that. Look at that, that picture there. Little you know, fella, ain't you? You know, you fellas amaze me. I left here a boy and came back an adult, and you guys haven't changed at all. Well, I wouldn't say that. Well, why, why, just look at this picture. Look at that. That picture was taken 50 years ago, and you guys yes, haven't sir. changed a bit. 50 years ago? That's my now how old I am. I... Hey, now, you guys haven't changed a bit. And would you believe that I still have one of those apples? One of them apples? It hasn't aged either. Well, I do know. Uh, Bless your little heart. Of course, uh, the worm did die. Oh. Well. Well, I wouldn't be. Oh, look at who's coming up. Oh, Ulysses no. S. Quincy. Howdy there, Ulysses. You get that barn painted, Ulysses? Okay. I seen you carrying your brush with you there. Okay. We got some mighty fine red right, barn paint right there. there. How you doing, Ulysses? Okay. Let me introduce you to our new creature. This is Brother Jimmy. He's okay. come home. It's good to meet you, Mr. Quincy. Good yes, to meet sir. you. It's been 50 years since I've seen you. Okay. 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 Uh, yes, sir. Oh, yes. Oh, Ulysses. Did you stop in on Ben Withers like I asked you to? Okay. Well, good. Did you invite him to come over to the sociable for Brother Jimmy? Okay. What old Ben have to say? Fine. Fine? <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right, that's good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, now, who who write the scripts? You guys take a uh, take turn each year. How did that? How 
all that worked out? Oh, I, I, if I remember correctly, we got started on that because Roz Rogers wrote uh, a couple of new scripts for us, or, or maybe it was just one new script, and was supposed to write one for us in 1998, uh, and was simply too ill to do it. And at the last minute, uh, I think I got drafted and I wrote the script, and I, I think I wrote the one that you just heard. And then uh, from then on, Tim and I basically would, uh, like you say, it was basically taking turns, or if it was a character that he was more familiar with, he might write the script, or there have even been times when uh, we've collaborated. So sometimes I can't remember which idea was mine and which was Tim's. So if they laugh at it, I'll take credit for it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. Now, did the, uh, did the archives have quite a few copies of the script in, your, in the library? The original script? Uh-huh. Yes. Um, we are working on republishing those, or I, I, I should say publishing. What we're doing is, of course, there is a large block of shows that is not available. There are no recordings available for several programs from the 1930s. And we've been printing these in volumes we call the Lemon Abner Scripts. And we'll do a month at a time, and we've just released the volume that reprints the scripts from July 1937. And earlier we were talking about Spud Gandel. This is the era that Spud was involved with the program. And we do have copies of those available. You do not have to be a member to purchase those. Uh, they are $7 a piece. And, of course, any profit that we make from that simply goes back into uh, the work that we do for preservation and also for funding the conventions and, and uh, paying the printing bills. So we do make those available. That, that's not a bad deal, though, just $7 for a whole month of radio scripts. Right, it's not bad. We uh, They are printed in two columns. Uh, we found out that uh, the way the scripts are, they're very difficult to reproduce because of the, you know, sometimes they're uh, a carbon copy or a faded old typewriter ribbon or the original paper, you know, would be yellowed. So they are uh, typeset. Hmm. But, uh, it's strictly for legibility and... Um, they're a lot of fun to read, you know, since you can't hear those programs because so far they don't exist. We can't find them. Uh, it's a great way to uh, enjoy that part of the series. Now, for our listeners who are listening on satellite and cable TV and uh, cell phones, whatever Bill Bragg got us hooked up to besides the Internet. Any tin cans? Yeah. <laughs> How in the world can they join? Is there an address that they can write to and send their $15? Yeah. Right. Um uh, the address is National Lumen Abner Society. It's in care of Tim Hollis, H-O-L-L-I-S. The address is number 81, Sharon, which is spelled S-H-A-R-O-N, Boulevard. And the city is Dora, D-O-R-A, Alabama, 35062. And uh, the annual membership is $15, and that includes six issues of our publication, the Jotham Down Journal, and uh, which we're very proud of that. The uh, Tim works for a publishing company, and uh, the uh, the layout, the photographic reproduction, and everything is uh, really of professional quality. And I think that listeners would enjoy uh, reading these issues. And I think Bob Lyons does a lot of your drawings, if I recall. Um, well, Bob did 
Actually, uh, actually, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I recall years ago, in the 80s, I thought. Bob designed uh, our logo. That's right. That the, the, Lemon, the official National Lemon Abner Society logo was designed, designed by Bob. Ah. Right. Uh, and that's the one that you see on our website and uh, several other places. But, uh, yes, you're correct. What about the address again, uh, just in case people missed it the first time around? Okay. It's National Lum and Abner Society. Uh, in care of Tim Hollis, H-O-L-L-I-S, number 81 Sharon Boulevard. And Sharon is spelled S-H-O-R, pardon me, S-H-A-R-O-N. And the city is Dora, D-O-R-A, Alabama, 35062. And I write to Tim, please send you $15, and hey, you never know what will drop in the mail to you right. six times a year. And uh, again, the script books, is, as I said, you don't have to be a member to purchase those, but the tape library and then uh, the special new uh, set of CDs that we're making arrangements on, certain things like that, you are required to be to be a member. And do you have to be a member to go to the convention? Oh, no, absolutely not. No, anyone is welcome. And if people wanted to get some literature, is, is there a flyer, some way they can get a hold of something like that? For a flyer? You... Uh-huh, of the convention. Uh, yes, um, if you write to the address, uh, just ask Tim about that. Um, and, of course, if you have Internet access, we'll be posting uh, more information about the conventions as it, as it becomes available. Hmm. I think we're up to about, what, 1990, I'm thinking. Yes, we just finished uh, 1990 with a clip of Bob's Watson, and we're moving into 1991, which was the uh, um, 60th anniversary of Lum and Abner. Oh, wait a minute here. Okay. Uh, we had one more clip from 1990. Okay. Uh, this, this is kind of special. Uh, this was for our script that year, and our friend Jerry Hausner, who did so much for us, agreed to, uh, to do a new... Uh, commercial for one of Lemon Abner's old sponsors, and in 1990 he wasn't able to be there, so he did his part by pre-recording it, and we produced a commercial for, uh, I believe this is for Postum, and it was Jerry voicing it for us on tape in 1990. Here we go. How about it, friends? Have you been jumpy, nervous, or irritable lately? Do life's little annoyances upset you like never before? Perhaps you were like Jerry Hausner. Once a pleasant, friendly fellow, Jerry suddenly became a grouch. Poops. What do you think this is? A playground? Of course it's not a playground. Can't you read the sign? Stay out? Well, I want you to stay out! Well, Jerry's doctor told him he was troubled by nerves. Coffee nerves. Tired of being called the curmudgeon of Encino, Jerry switched to Postum. You see, friends, Postum has no caffeine, no stimulants, nothing to make you irritable. And Postum is so tempting, full-bodied and steaming in the cup, it's a truly delicious, satisfying mealtime drink. After just two weeks on Postum, our friend Jerry sounded like this. Hi, boys and girls. So good to see you again. Come on right into Uncle Jerry's house, and I'll give you all a nice cup of Postum made with milk. 
Can you say postum? Postum! I thought you could. And besides, now you can help me eat up this old batch of Aunt Laura Pitchford's M&M cookies. Oh, you don't know what you've been missing. Wait till you taste them. Oh, all right, now. What is that? I wanted that she still make those M&M cookies. I don't know. Do you still make those M&M cookies? She <laughs> <laughs> just happened to be listening into that part. Uh, that, that's, that's precious. Jerry was great. Oh yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think he did four or five takes on that, uh, and you know, just screaming at the top of his lungs at his age. It was it was incredible. <laughs> absolutely. I think I don't know if most members uh, would be called. Like, he would travel a lot to Asia and take pictures and things, I think those later became travelogues, if I recall. Um, he, uh, he he certainly did, and uh, I think one of my prized possessions uh, is his 16-millimeter camera, which I now own, and which made all those trips, and it's just, you know, it's just a wonderful memory, or a wonderful uh, souvenir of our friendship with Jerry. Wow. Now we're up to, what, 1992 or so, or 91? Well, uh, I'll summarize very quickly. Uh, I don't have clips on some of these conventions, but 1991 was the 60th anniversary of Lum and Abner. We had, uh, what can you say about Les Tremaine? <laughs> uh, well, he'll be celebrating his 90th birthday here in April. Yes, and uh, Sam Brown, our vice president, uh, just spoke with Les uh, about a week or two ago by telephone, and Les has had some uh, health problems, but he said Les sounded wonderful. And so um, we're hoping uh, to wish him a 90th birthday here very soon. But, of course, Les, you know, Les needs no introduction, but, you know, we could talk for hours about Les. But Les did some early commercials for Lum and Abner when they were sponsored by Horlick's Malted Milk when Les was working in Chicago. Les was our guest in 1991 and uh, narrated uh, an audiovisual multimedia presentation on the uh, 60 years of Lum and Abner. And um, we'll get back to Les momentarily, but then our eighth convention in 1992 was the 50th anniversary of the motion picture The Bashful Bachelor. We had uh, the actress uh, who was in that film, Louise Curry, was our special guest of honor. And uh, don't have clips on that. We didn't do scripts as such with, uh, with uh, these guests. I wish we had, but we had so many other things going on. But for 1993, we produced another commercial similar to the one you've just heard, but this one is very, uh, it's kind of interesting. Um, it ended up in pre-recorded form. We combined the voices of Les Tremaine and his wife Joan, uh, Wendell Niles, and Jerry Hausner. And... Um, it's a, it's a sad story, but an interesting story. Jerry was ill at the time we wrote this script, wanted to very much to participate, but, um, you know, simply could not. And um, so, you know, we said, don't worry. We've got some, you know, we'll use some recordings from the past. I'll rewrite it a bit. And uh, we worked it out with Les and used some clips that we already had and put something together. And we said, Jerry, you get well. When you get well, we'll rerecord it. You know, we'll we'll present it at the convention as the lead-in for our script. So that's what we did, and unfortunately, uh, on April 1st, I believe it was, of 1993, uh, Jerry passed away. 
and I, we spoke with everyone involved, and they said, let's go ahead and run it. You know, Jerry would say, you know, let the show go on. So what you hear is, is basically the last performance for us that uh, of Jerry Hausner as well as Wendell Niles. And uh, I don't think we could ever combine all those great voices again, but uh, the audience certainly enjoyed this as the lead-in to our script. And then you'll hear a bit of the opening of the script when we had an incredible guest by the name of Willard Waterman who recreated for us his role of the Great Gildersleeve. And Willard performed on some of the Lumen Abner programs 1948 and 49 in that era. So talk about a, another living legend that we had in Mena, Arkansas. But you'll hear some of that, and I believe you'll hear Sam Brown once again playing the part of Dick Huddleston. And Dick's daughter, Ethel, who came to many of our conventions before her passing, just really delighted in Sam's uh, performance of her dad. She thought he really captured uh, um, the, the charm of, of the real Dick Huddleston, and we do too. And then, uh, I can't remember, but I think this clip, I think we had Squire Skimp in it, which uh, was a part that I attempted. I think you did. I think you did. I think it's in this clip. But anyway, this, uh, this is a wonderful piece of radio history, and i got to say, the scriptwriters... Whoever we're going to take credit, you or Tim, did a dynamite <laughs> job on this. Thank you. I, th I think this was one of mine. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> Here we go. best way to get in the mood for this is uh, close your eyes for a minute and reach out in front of you and uh, start turning the knobs on your imaginary radio, and maybe you'll start picking up a little bit of static. Golly, it works. Maybe even a lot of static. And as you keep turning around the dial, you may just find Lemon Abner if you're lucky. Everybody, here we are, all ready to take you down to Pine Ridge for another visit with Lemon Abner. Brought to you by the makers of Horlicks, the original malted milk. My, my, we do receive letters about Horlicks, the original. Why, just today, this glowing review of Horlicks malted milk arrived. Mr. Les Tremaine wrote to say, well, let's let him tell you. Dear Mr. Niles, Every evening, my wife Joan and I listen to you extol the virtues of Horlicks, the original malted milk, during the Lemon Abner program. Of course, we've been drinking Horlicks, the original, ourselves for years. But when our son Jerry was born, oh, we experienced a crisis. Little Jerry wouldn't drink his baby formula. Come on, Jerry, dear, please <laughs> drink your formula. Oh, son, son, you're losing so much weight. Oh, please, darling, just Come a on. little bit for Mommy. That's it, don't there, spit it out. There. Oh, hold, hold his head up this way. <laughs> there, that's better. Now, just a little bit. Oh, try, darling. Please. But then, Wendell, we heard you suggesting that parents feed their infants Horlicks the original. And right away, little Jerry gained 22 pounds and was a picture of health. <laughs> and Mr. Niles, we continued to feed our son Horlicks the original for the next 50 years. And today, he's just as strong and healthy as can be. 
Well, here he is now. Uh, uh, hello, you two. Hello, son. Hi, dear. Sonny boy, drink this glass of Horlicks, the original, so all the folks listening will know how much you love it. What do you think I am, nuts? <laughs> well, so you see, Mr. Niles, today my wife and I drink plenty of Horlicks, the original, just to keep up with our healthy son. <laughs> Thank you. I think. Sincerely. I think. Signed. Joan. And Les Tremaine. Oh, wait, Sonny, Sonny, don't take my car! And there you have it, friends. Proof positive that Horlicks, the original malted milk, is loaded with energy-giving, health-sustaining goodness. And it's so delicious. And either natural or chocolate flavor. Try some today, won't you? Except no substitutes. Horlicks, the original. And now let's see what's happening down in Pine Ridge. Well, it seems an out-of-town visitor is enjoying himself at Dick Huddleston's fishing camp down on the Washita River. As we look in on this little community today, we find Dick is just about to call on a gentleman. Listen. Well, good morning, Mr. Gildersleeve. Yeah, what was that? Oh, oh, Mr. Huddleston. Say, I hope I didn't scare, scare away a bite there. Oh, I should say not. I must say I've caught enough uh, in one hour to make the vacation worthwhile. <laughs> well, by Jack, you've made my day. I heard fishing was poor lately. No, no, it's simply grand. Well, that's fine. I guess you'll have fish for breakfast instead of that big hunk of cheese there. No, 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 this is my craft cheddar. I'll... I'll be delightful, though, melting them over a bass. <laughs> well, if you need anything, I'm just down the road. Oh, yes. You operate that jot-of-town store, don't you? <laughs> well, sir, that's my competitors, Lyman Abner, just across the street. They're fine fellas, too. Oh, yes, your village is full of fine people. It reminds me of a little place I know called Wistful Vista. It's the sort of environment I need for a couple of weeks. Well... Well, I'd love to stay and visit, but I've got to get back to the store. Have a good time, Mr. Gilbert. Oh, yes, I will. Goodbye. <laughs> what a peaceful spot. Nothing but the sound of the river, the birds singing, the bees buzzing, the occasional braying of an old mule. Well, hello there. There's one now. <laughs> Well, and uh, how are you today, Mr. Gildersleeve? Uh, oh, oh my, my, my mistake. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's that? Uh, uh, not, nothing. Not, not, nothing. Uh, Mr. Mr. Uh, Skimp is the name. Uh, Maynard K. Skimp, better known as Squire. Uh, we met this morning at Moe's Moots' barbershop. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm very sorry, Mr. Skimp. If I may be so bold, Mr. Gildersleeve, uh, I'd like to take a moment of your valuable time to uh, discuss that little business proposition I mentioned earlier. Yeah, oh, that. Uh, Mr. Skimp, I, I really... Now, Mr. Gildersleeve, Pine Ridge needs investors like yourself to uh, settle here amid the peaceful pines and make a fortune. Now, 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 Mr. Skimp, why... 